The scriptures this morning will be coming from Matthew, the 20th chapter, and verses 25 through 28. NIV version. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me remind all the parents that they're... we're tithing great, and um, it's been really a, a pleasure to take a break and look at what the Bible tells us is important. So we looked at the great command, you know, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And last week, the great commission, the call to go, and may I just add my voice to, the, to others that uh, is so thankful to God for the generosity of our hearts, how we give in sacrificial ways to help spread the kingdom, and and that was definitely seen last week. And today we want to look at an interesting topic, the great contradiction. Contradiction, what a wonderful word. You just love it, right? It just has this warm, cuddly feeling every time you're contradicted. I know all of you parents out there don't even know what I'm talking about, right? When somebody takes a stance that's opposite of your stance, that are in opposition to another, so the question is, how do we act when, when we have to be different? I mean, how do you feel when you're contradicted? Does that disagreed with and somebody's taking the opposite point of view? It's very challenging when people have a different perspective. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm discovering the older I get, the more challenging it is when people have a different perspective than I do. It doesn't get necessarily easier a lot of times when I'm talking to, to younger folks, I, I try and get them to understand a different perspective by, by, and uh, to have some patience with their parents by pointing out to them, let's say you're a 13-year-old child, you know, your parents don't, don't, don't understand completely what it's like to be 13 now. But at some point in their past, a long, long time ago in a land far, long, far, far away, they were 13-year-olds. And while it is different now, they at least know if they can remember that far back, what it felt like to be a 13-year-old. And to the 13-year-old, I would point out, you know, they have been your age once, but you have never been their age. So give them a little grace and patience. Of course, if I was talking to parents, I, parents know that already. I would just point out to parents that being a 13-year-old now is very different than it was then. And aren't you thankful I can remember when I was a teenager, the older folks at church saying, man, I'm so glad that life's so much harder for you than it was for me. Well, now I'm the old folks saying the exact same thing. And so if you think life is harder now for them than it was for you, that's a great perspective to look at. But, but if you wish for them the good old days back when you were a teenager and how good everything was, you got a bad memory because it was tough. Being a teenager was tough then and it's tough now. It might be tougher, but it's still tough. There's, there's a value in seeing people looking at and learning from a person's perspective. But as children of God, 
it is also very challenging for us because Jesus once was where we are, and yet we haven't been where he is. I, I would tell those same teenagers, you know, Jesus was once your age. He, he never made it my age here on this earth, but he was once your age on this earth. But the point was not the age that he was here, it's that he was here. And God has this perspective on living here, not only because he made us and created us, but Jesus showed us that here in this world, no matter, no matter what your age or what age you are living in, there are certain things that are very important for you to understand, and perspective is a big part of it. And Jesus said, I want you to be able to see that perspective. Here's what the world tells you is like. Here's the worldview. Now, I came to walk and to teach so that you could see the heavenly view, what kingdom living looks like. And Jesus knew that his disciples were going to struggle with this truth then and now. And so he prayed this very special prayer for his disciples, both then and now. The Lord's Prayer for us, found in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus is trying to help the disciples then and now understand that there are certain things that don't go together. And so notice the things he prayed for us. There's three things I want to highlight. So we put put this whole text on the screen here, and I've highlighted three little points about it. Sometimes when we first became believers, do you ever remember thinking, God, just take me home? (laughs) I I mean, I've got to go back to school. I've got to go back to work, and I know the temptations are there. Just bring me home. Why am I here? And Jesus clearly said, "I I didn't... Uh, He's not praying that God would take us out of the world, not out, but they're not of the world. You're not supposed to be just like the world and follow that pattern, and he's not going to take us out of this world. Instead, what he did was said, I'm going to send them into the world just like I was sent. Sanctify them. Sanctify simply means to take them and set them apart, to make them different so that they will see, think, and act differently. But here's what happens in my brain way too often. When I think about being set apart, I think about being a slave to sin, being mired in sin, and and Christ, because of the blood of the cross, saved me. And he pulled me out of the sin in this world, and he set me apart up on a pedestal where I am bigger, better than everybody else around me. And too many times that's exactly how Christians act. Like I've been set on a pedestal. I'm a light to the world. I am better than everybody else around me. And that's not our calling at all. That's why way too often other people look at our Christian acts and our Christian lives and they say, you just think you're better than I am, don't you? You're just a goody two-shoes. And when I was a young man, a young Christian, and, and I would choose not to do things that my friends were doing, and they would say, you're just a goody two-shoes, or you think you're better than I am, I, I would think in my mind, no, but I don't want to do what you're, gonna, you're doing, so does that make me better than you because I'm not going to do what you do? It took me a long time to struggle with that. 
See, what happens is God takes us out of the mire of sin, and he doesn't put us on a pedestal to be better than everybody else. He takes us out of that and sets us apart to be different than everybody else. And I wish I'd known as a teenager, say, no, I don't think I'm better than you, but I am different. I make different choices. I live differently. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell his, his disciples, his followers. We are sent into this world, but not to follow the patterns of this world, but set apart to act and live differently in contradiction to this world. And this is not easy to do. True. I understand. This is very, very challenging. It's been challenging all of my life, and it remains challenging. But it is possible. We can do this. And Jesus tells us how. Look at the last sentence of this passage. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus shows us how. And so the more time you spend with Jesus, the more natural it is to act like Jesus in this world, to live in contradiction to how the world defines it. You've probably seen on, on television or other places, you might even be an impersonator. It, it could be quite funny to see people who who, act, who study another person so much and have their mannerisms and their voice and that they can they can sound like that person. They impersonate them. That can't be easy. You've got to practice it, I'm sure. And it can be quite humorous. And usually when you see somebody that's good at this, you recognize who it is. And it probably takes a lot of time to be that. But in this world, we are not called to impersonate Jesus. In other words, we're not called to pretend we're Jesus in this world. There are way too many pretend Christians already. And that's what my friends and others see too often. People who are pretending to be like Jesus, trying to impersonate him. Instead, we're called to be so much in the presence of Christ and, and walk so closely with him that we take on his actions. We act like Jesus in this world. And it's not pretend. It's much deeper than that. We are called to be completely different than the world. And before we get to our story in just a second, let's go one more place just to see, see that difference clearly. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the, the key to oversimplifying is don't love the world. Love God, not the world. We want to be associated with Jesus, not with the world. You see, we, we know how the world acts. It's very obvious. Uh, you've heard of the, the, the word, of so, word associations. It's a, it's a great way to illustrate the point. You know, when, when I say one word, you automatically, probably a word comes to mind unless you force yourself to think differently. If I were to, were to say a, a simple word like mother, probably father, black, white, Adam, Eve, handsome, Kent, you know, just certain words that just kind of flow together. You think of one, you just automatically. And the same principle holds true with world associations. When something happens in this world, we naturally respond. Think of something. If someone strikes you on one cheek, then you hit them back. If someone forces you to do something, you don't do any more than you have to. 
If, if someone hurts you, you hurt them back. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And Jesus, all through his ministry, said, not in, ki- in the kingdom. Kingdom living is different. If someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn another cheek. That's not natural. That's not a world association. If someone forces you to go one mile, you go with them too. Don't swear. Let your yes be yes, your no, no. It is different. And it is very hard to be associated with both worlds. I mean, for a little bit, we can act like a Christian. We can say we act like a Christian, but then we act like the world. But it is very hard to think one way and act another. It's very challenging. So he says we got to stop loving the world. Stop thinking like the world, where what you see is what you want. You want to fulfill the pleasures of, of this world in your life. You want whatever you desire to happen. You want to lift yourself up on a pedestal so that you can make a difference in this world because you want others to see you and think you're special. Jesus says we have to have a different perspective. And the perspective we have to have is not just tied to this world. It's tied to eternity. 1 John 2, 17, the very next verse. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So we need to see how God looked at things, his, how Jesus looked at things, his perspective, this great contradiction that he's talked about. And perspective is, is often seen in what we want. What you want. If you could ask Jesus for anything, what would you want? What would it be? Because our desires often show us our associations, even in what we sometimes pray about. What's your desires? What's your wants? What are you looking for in the power of life? And quite frankly, it if I were to tell you many of the desires I want, if I could ask Jesus, because I can think of my own prayers, I have to confess that I find myself asking more, asking Jesus more for things for my children or my grandchildren than I do for myself. I, I probably ought to change that a little bit, and I've got enough things that I need to work on with God and, and myself. But you find yourself really praying for your kids a lot? And I still do. It, it, it doesn't, doesn't end. So let's go to our story, Matthew twenty twenty, because all of a sudden, Mrs. Zebedee has a chance to ask Jesus for something. The, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, kneeling down asked a favor of him. I have to tell you, this is one of those scenes I'd, I'd love to have been there for, to watch what had happened before this took place and to, and to see the nuances um, I, I don't know for sure if, if this is something James and John really wanted and they they've been trying to find a time to be with Jesus and ask him this question and they thought you know what when, when we really want something badly from dad if we get mom on our side then we usually get it you know so maybe they were just saying if we get mom to ask for us, maybe that's that's going to be a better outcome for this, or it could be that um, that she loves her boys, and she sees within those boys a, a potential to make a big difference. 
And, and they, she thinks that if they will stay right by Jesus, they can be in a position to really change the world, to make a big difference. So maybe that's the perspective which she asks from. And Jesus looks at her, and I think he looks at her with love and compassion. And he says, what do you want? And she said, here's what she wanted for her boys. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. If Jesus had given her what she wanted, what would that have meant for James and John? Because when was Jesus lifted up? And who was on his right and left? When he was lifted up on the cross, there were two thieves there. And I don't think for a moment she asked, can my boys be crucified with you? You know, a lot of times we have a change in perspective of the things that we want. You might think of things that you prayed for as a young, in years past, you know, a special girl you were wanting to like you or a job you wanted or a, a career move or, I don't, I don't know, a lot of things that you might have prayed for. And now as you look backwards into those months, months ago or years ago, you find yourself humming the Garth Brooks song, and if you don't know it, the, the title of it is Unanswered Prayers. You're just so thankful. Oh, thank you, God, for not answering that. And I think Miss Zebedee got there at some point as well. But that's not where she was then. There's many things in life that if we got what we asked for, we wouldn't want what we got. I remember my dad telling me many times, you asked for it, now you're going to get it. <laughs> Then I'd turn and look at him and say, I didn't know I asked for that. He said, you just did again, boy. <laughs> you know? There's a lot of things in life. There's the story of Teen Midas. Just wanted to make things gold. But Mrs. Zebedee, James and John, and the disciples were looking at things from a, too much of a worldly perspective. They didn't understand the great contradiction yet. But they would. Because when Jesus said, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? You remember the cup because in the garden, he prayed to his father about that cup. That he wouldn't have to drink it. But if God wanted, he would. James and John are going to drink that cup, just not now. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not grant for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Jesus knew what they would face to follow him. They would face suffering. They would have to drink from the cup of suffering. And in many respects, James and John became the bookends of Jesus. James, likely the first apostle to die. John, the final. They would drink from that cup, but not in the way that they thought or wanted. But God did have plans for them. But the plans for them were not on the cross on that day at Golgotha. But it wasn't just James and John and their mom who struggled with this. When the, uh, verse 24, when the ten heard about it, the ten other disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Indignant, what a beautiful word. <laughs> they were upset. They were the siblings saying, that's not fair. 
Never heard that in your house, right? I'm not for sure what they thought wasn't fair. Was it not fair that they didn't think to have their mama's ass first? All I do know is that they were looking for a chance to ask for the same thing. But were they wanting to be then those who were on the cross beside Jesus? I don't think so because when he was headed towards the cross, what did they do? They ran away from it. No, they, they thought like so many of us that to make a difference in this world, you have to lift yourself up and be in a position of authority, of power, to, to be over people, to be elevated above them and to make that difference because you have the authority to make it happen. It's the great contradiction. Jesus says that he understands and he calls them all together. He says, guys, you got to come in. We got to talk about this. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you know the worldly perspective. You know how the world does things. If you want to make a difference, you got to be in a, pos- a position or, of, of authority. One of those power plays in my life when I was younger was in elementary school when the teacher would have to leave the room. Back in those days, she would often call up someone to be the class monitor. Mm-hmm. That person got to sit, stand by the chalkboard, and if anybody acted up, you got to write their name on the chalkboard. Why that was such a fun job, I don't know, because it did not make the playground fun that day. It did not. But yet, you wanted to be that person, to take down names, to, to monitor the classroom, or to be in charge at home. Mom and Dad are leaving, and they left you in charge of, of your siblings. Wow, make a difference. I've got the power. And those are childish illustrations, but we live out those childish dreams way too many times in life. If I really want to make a difference in this world, I have to be lifted up above other people so I, they will do what I ask them to do, tell them to do. And Jesus said, not so with you. No, it's different here. We have a different perspective. This is the contradiction. If you want to make a difference in this world, then you have to be different than the world. For the world, greatness means being on top, being elevated above others. But Jesus redefined greatness to align with the values of what he's trying to teach kingdom living is all about. It is not having greatness and being elevated, but in elevating others above yourself. It's not being put on a pedestal, but helping other people come and be lifted up. It's not making them, it's not a comparison I mean, I'm going to act really bad so you look better than me and then you'll be okay with with Jesus. That's not what it's about. It's kneeling down in service and in love in such a way as to lift them up so that they would be closer to God. I have to say I love our our church building, this facility. It's kind of hard for me to imagine. We've been here over 20 years. For some of you old-timers, you remember, many of you younger ones, some of you kids, you were born while we were in this building. But I just got to tell you, 20 years ago, when we moved in this building, there was a lot of cool things. But one of the coolest things, especially the young people at the time, is this building had an elevator. Yes. I mean, big deal now, right? But then, 20 years ago, big time. 
And that's okay. You smirk at me now. I see some of you parents with your kids letting them play with the elevator. I mean, why a child loves the buttons on an elevator, I'm not for sure. But it's a great way to entertain children that are acting up during worship services. You take them out there, and they push the buttons. And to watch a child on an elevator, it's just a joyous thing. They push the button, a door opens. Whoa, I got the power. They get inside. They push another button. It opens up. You're in a different place. Wow. You know, in a sense, what God calls us to do is to meet people where they are and open up a whole new way for them and to lift them up, to take them to a different floor, to take them to a different place, a better place. May we come alongside people and live in such a way that it draws them closer to God. So don't follow the pattern of the world. Jesus says, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Ah, it's a beautiful Christian thought. Make me a servant, Lord, make me like you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to help meet your needs. You have a need. Hey, I got a few moments. I'm there. And then Jesus continues. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Wait a second, that doesn't fit in the song, does it? Make me a slave, Lord, make me like you. Because a slave doesn't voluntarily do good. But when we are a slave to Christ, when we are Christ's people, it's not a voluntary act, it is what we're called to do, told to do. It means that we are told to meet the needs of others, whether we feel like it or not. It is a way of living. And if you think it's impossible, look again to Jesus. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We don't like this slave mentality. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody's supposed to be free to do whatever they want. But brothers and sisters in Christ and friend, if you're listening, what the Bible teaches us is very clear here. Everyone's a slave to something. Everyone's a slave. You're enslaved to the world's perspective and point of view, or you're a slave to Christ's perspective and his point of view. And if you follow the world's path, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, you know, whatever you want, if that's the way that you go, just know that that is what you're enslaved to. And that is the path of sin, It's what Jesus calls it. John 8, 34. Jesus replied, very, verily, I, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But we don't have to stay there. If you're enslaved to some, something, someone has to pay a ransom. And Jesus paid the price to cleanse us of our sins so that we could be changed, we could be different in this world. And he paid that price just a few verses before that in John 8, 32, we read, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How to get free? The truth. You know Jesus. How to stay free? Follow him. Not the truth of this world that says go after what you want. If you want to make a difference in this world, you've got to be elevated above other people. Instead, you have to follow that great contradiction and live a life of putting other people first, not putting yourself first. Being a slave, a servant to all, True greatness, according to God, is not found in elevating yourself, but in elevating others above yourself. 
And now to you, our brothers and sisters here. That's what, what happened in our lives. And yet we struggle with this. We find ourselves not living it, even with each other. One more exhortation from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from following the pathway of this world. But we weren't called to that just to use it for our own good. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's what God calls us to. With those in the family and those in this world. If you want to make a difference, we've got to be different. We have to live the great contradiction. I know, it's, it's challenging. It's something we have to work on every day. Just is. <laughs> Don't think you're going to hit 60 and not have to deal with this. Or 80 or 100. And don't think the disciples got it all of a sudden and that was it as well. They struggled with this as well. And we spent time in, uh, in Matthew's looking at this story. We could have gone to Mark. We spent time in Matthew. When Luke talks about an occasion like this, I want to read Luke's version in Luke 22, verses 24 through 27, when the disciples are struggling with this. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table. But I am among you as one who serves. Disciples struggled with this right up into the end, right into the shadow of the cross. I just read to you Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27. I want to go back four verses in Luke to Luke 22, 20, and listen to this. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. struggled right up to the end right to the cross and if they struggled no wonder we do don't be like the world live the great contradiction be different be different that's the calling parents do intercede for their kids at times and it's a beautiful thing, and they should. Isn't it nice to know that Jesus intercedes for us? He's gone into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. And he is there for us. So brothers and sisters, let's live this life. And friend, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, it's not easy, it's a call. But it's a call to be different than the world. And Jesus models it, and Jesus helps so if you've never given your life to Christ, I hope this day that you will confess him as Lord of your life. In fact, he's going to be in charge of my life. And the way I'm living is wrong. You've got to admit that and choose to live a different way. And then 
put him on in baptism, washing your sins away so that you can walk in the light as he is in the light. I hope you'll choose to do that this morning. May God bless his message to each of us today, and may we live that message in this world. May we live the great contradiction. If you need to respond publicly, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, 